Sons of Saturday, Virginia Tech Hoops Pod. We are recording on Monday, January 10th for the first time since December 16th, Ed, one day before Virginia Tech took on St. Bonaventure. We have a lot to talk about, but not as much as we could have had to talk about, given the fact we haven't recorded in three weeks. Really, we just had three games that were played, two postponements due to COVID issues within the Virginia Tech basketball program, and a one and two record in that stretch. So where do you want to start here? It's super unfortunate that this team back-to-back years now has been derailed by COVID in one way, shape, or form. I don't really know the circumstances around the most recent pause, but um, was super unfortunate timing because Virginia Tech was playing some really good basketball, heading into a tough stretch of the schedule in ACC play. Um, Absolutely boat race St. Bonaventure down in Charlotte. We'll talk about that a little bit more in depth. Played Duke really tough. Uh, We're winning at halftime, ended up losing the game in Cameron Indoor. You know, Duke's a very good team, obviously. So no one can be too upset about that one. And then just COVID pause. So all that positive momentum that the team had finally found uh, playing good basketball against good teams was completely derailed by um, the COVID protocols that the NCAA has in place and the ACC has in place right now. Um, Multiple games lost. Could come back to hurt this team at the end of the year, but more importantly than that, it just completely takes away any of the positive momentum that Virginia Tech had going. Uh, and there was a lot of things to like about how they were playing basketball prior to the COVID pause. So super frustrating, um, very reminiscent of last year. And hopefully these guys can write the ship and start playing good again because, you know, the NC State lost the most recent game that Virginia Tech played. Um, I had no expectations for going into it because we didn't know who had been practicing. And it turns out that – you know, five or six guys, it sounds like, hadn't been practicing until the day before the game. So the COVID protocols and the COVID pause uh, really put a damper on Virginia Tech basketball program in the last 18 months, I'll say. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I I saw social media was sounding the alarms. Full disclosure, I did not watch that NC State game live because we got hit by that really bad snowstorm. I know you got some of it, Ed, up there up north. Uh, but down here in Fredericksburg, we got like a foot and a half of snow and I was without power for almost 72 hours. So I did not see the NC State game live. I was just trying to uh, find electricity and warmth <laughs> during that time. But uh, yeah, I mean, Virginia Tech didn't play particularly well. We'll get into that in a minute. But I think just kind of taking a step back before we dive into the St. Bonaventure game specifically. I see a lot of people sounding the alarms and maybe, you know, folks listening to this will think that you and I are being a bit overly optimistic, but I think when you take a step back and just kind of look at the last few games, right. Um, the, the St. Bonaventure game coming off of that really tough date and loss on that Sunday afternoon, uh, before Christmas, being able to beat St. Bonaventure and then play well at Cameron, was definitely an encouraging sign prior to the, the two postponements at UNC and home against Pittsburgh, because I thought coming out of the Duke game, you know, before the UNC game had been called, I had a good feeling that tech would be able to beat North Carolina coming out of the performance against Duke. We had talked about on the last podcast about 
how the upcoming three game stretch that St. Bonaventure at Duke at UNC stretch was really important to kind of get a gauge of where this program was actually at. And for tech to blow out St. Bonaventure lose, lose by it ended up being 11 to Duke, but I thought the Hokies played well in that game. I felt pretty good going into that UNC game. And, and you and I talked about before we ended the last podcast, what we thought Virginia tech's record would be over that three game stretch. And I think you and I both said two and one, or we, we hoped for two and one, uh, but we knew that Virginia Tech needed to win at least one of those three games. And, you know, that UNC game was postponed, but I had a pretty good feeling going to that game that Virginia Tech was starting to gain momentum. So that COVID pause really sucks. Yeah, and it sucks even more when you follow it up with a winnable game against Pitt getting postponed and right. canceled. I mean, those games are probably not going to get made up right. uh, if we're being realistic. And then, you know, you get five de- five guys jumping out of their apartments after, you know, their isolation period and playing a game against NC State, a team that Virginia Tech would beat nine times out of ten. But when you've got people who haven't practiced or, you know, left their house in however long, right, uh, makes makes playing a Division One ACC basketball game a little bit difficult the next night. So um, I'm not too mad about that loss. I don't know how you can go into it with any expectations of high-level basketball. They hadn't been together they hadn't been out of their rooms they you know they were stuck in the protocols whatever right. that means these days um they couldn't practice together so it like you know there's reports out there that the team didn't have enough guys to play five on five for a few days leading up to the nc state game how are you supposed to expect anything out of that so uh yeah the the nc the unc part of it stinks because virginia tech was playing really well and unc is a team that while very talented, is beatable, and that would have been a really good win for this team. Um, but I think it stinks even more from the loss of a pit game and the loss to NC State in a game you probably win, you know, if you have any amount of preparation leading up to it. So very frustrating. Um, hopefully these guys can – we can avoid this for the rest of the year and play uninterrupted basketball all the way till March, uh, and then we'll let the chips fall where they may from there. But, yeah, the COVID protocol thing last year – definitely derailed some momentum and this year clearly has done the same. So very frustrating for Virginia Tech. All right. So let's go back to the St. Bond adventure game a little over three weeks ago. Now Virginia Tech won that game 86 to 49. It was never competitive Ed. Virginia Tech led by 22 at the half. Uh, they won the second half by 15 to win that game by 37 points. Uh, you were there neutral site, Charlotte, North Carolina, St. Bonaventure, look, Kyle Lofton came back. You know, he had a sprained ankle, hadn't played in a few weeks. He came back in that game, did, you know, played 26 minutes, only one of four from the field. Obviously not quite 100%, still trying to get his legs under him. So that certainly made a difference. But to hold Holmes to zero points, um, there's only one starter. I was Welch, who was in double digits. I mean, Virginia Tech's defense was great in that game. St. Bonaventure missed a lot of shots, too. They just didn't shoot the ball well, 18 to 54 from the floor. But on the Virginia Tech side of things, Hunter Couture, career high, 21 points, hits six of his seven shots, all five of his threes. He was outstanding. Uh, Storm Murphy, right? We had been talking about, all right, Storm Murphy needs to start emerging now. He had 18 points, hit seven to 10 from the floor, started shooting the rock, which uh, forget shooting the rock better. You know, we can talk about Naheem Ali needing to shoot the rock better, right? He was three to 10 in that game and, and hasn't really shot well since. But Storm Murphy flat out just needed to shoot. And Virginia Tech's defensive performance in that game I thought was very good. St. Bonaventure obviously missed a ton of open shots too. But Virginia Tech's offense was really encouraging in that game, shooting nearly 55% from the floor. 
yeah, that was the best the offense has looked all year. Um, that was the Mike Young offense to perfection. Uh, everyone was involved. The ball was flying around. Yeah, we were texting during that game, and you, you texted me. You were like, Storm shot the ball. And he shot it and made it. He played fantastic that night. Uh, God, it feels like so long ago now. But um, Hunter Couture was incredible on both ends. Uh, he got the MVP of the game. Like I guess he got like a little plaque or something um, out of that one. But I would love to see more of that offensively from Hunter Couture, more, um, I guess, of the, of the team playing through him more and less through Aline. Um, finding ways to get Hunter Couture his shot because he's absolutely lethal. Uh, he was fantastic. But I think he was even better on the defensive end that night, him and Naheem Aline both. Uh, they, to be able to combine or hold uh, Kyle Lofton and Holmes, who I believe both at the time were averaging 14 points a game, to a combined two was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Hunter Couture and Naheem Aline were lights out defensively that night against two very, very good college basketball players for St. Bonaventure. Um, and they just had no offense because of it. Uh, they weren't able to get anything going offensively. Even if they did, they were missing. Uh, and Virginia Tech just absolutely poured it on on the other end with great offensive performances from pretty much everybody, um, especially Hunter Couture and Storm Murphy. So, yeah, that game was really fun, uh, very stress-free. I ended up sitting with uh, Pat Finn and all of his Charlotte Hokies for the entire second half. Um, Spectrum Center is pretty sweet. That's a really cool venue. Um sell beer there which was enjoyable yes so Always all in good. all very very stress-free um win for virginia tech and a pretty good virginia tech crowd down there in charlotte as you'd expect surprisingly a lot of st bonaventure fans too really um but that was a really cool event put on by you know the spectrum center and city of charlotte that uh, i think virginia tech fans would gladly go to uh, every year if 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 they are invited to do so Sean Padula, he fouled out of that game, but, you know, he, he showed his playmaking ability. He had a couple of nice wraparound passes of his basket that led to dunks. He had five points, two assists, played in 15 minutes there. Darius Maddox, you know, continues to be pretty solid off the bench. So that was really good, Ed, right? Virginia Tech blows out St. Bonaventure, and then they go to Cameron Indoor. And, I mean, we got to start with Kevin Aluma. I mean, he was unreal in the first half. Now, Duke held him in check in the second half. It's a big reason why Duke ended up winning that basketball game. But Kevin Aluma, that was his best game of the year offensively. Yeah, I mean, when he when he puts his head down and plays aggressive offense, um, I mean, he's as skilled as any big man in the country, just pure offensive talent and skill. Uh, he, can, he can make some professional-level shots in and around the basket. Um, he's, a, he's a decent perimeter shooter, but his his touch around the rim is second to none. I mean, he's he's very very good, and he can make very good players look very mediocre uh, when he's on his game. And yeah, I mean, Duke has the athletes to make Kevin Luma's life a little bit more difficult in the second half, which in turn made the whole offense's life more difficult. But um, that loss came down to what most of these losses have come down to is the inability to stop a double digit run from the other team. Right. Um, and obviously in Cameron, that's a whole different ball game because that crowd gets into it. I know Pat Finn was there. Uh, he, you know, he talked about it a little bit on the Suns podcast about the environment that that place provides, but yeah, the, every game Dayton, it was that way. Uh, NC state to a lesser extent, Duke, all these losses, the common theme is the inability to 
get a bucket and stop a 12-0, 15-0, 10-0 run right. um, that is costing these team, this team these games. Um, and obviously Duke is a different animal, but say it was still more of the same, um, but just, I guess, more excusable because of the talent that Duke has. Same old song and dance with these losses. It's the inability to stop runs. Um, NC State did it, too. Uh, in the first half, they got out to a huge lead. We stormed all the way back with a run of our own, and they did it again in the second half. And it's just there's no calming presence on offense who can go get you a basket when, you know, the team's on an 8-0 run that then turned into a 12 or 14-0 run because of the inability to score. So they need to figure that out because those runs are going to keep coming in ACC play. Um, and the rest of the season, as long as we can stay on the court and stay out of the protocols, Virginia Tech needs to figure out who that guy is who's going to get them a shot to break a run. Last year it was Tyrese Radford. We all thought it would be in the Himalayan. It hasn't been him. But, yeah, Duke, very encouraging game. Uh, I felt really good about your chances going into North Carolina, like you talked yeah. about, Mike. But uh, protocols got us. And, you know, a win in Cameron would always be super nice, but you can't really count on those very often. So. Yeah, I, I want to transition here to the NC State game uh, by talking about Justin Mutz. So th- I thought this was also one of Justin Mutz's best game of the year um, against Duke. Best games of the year, sorry, against Duke. Um, 20 points, nine rebounds to go along with a Loomis 25 and 10. One turnover for Justin Mutz. That's what it's supposed to look like. Not what happened against NC State, the 68 to 63 loss where Mutz had six turnovers. Yeah, Justin Mutz has been very inconsistent this year, which was not something I had anticipated. Uh, he was very, very consistent last year. Um, not going to put up 25 and 15 or by any means, but at least his production was something you could count on and his ability to not kill you was something you could count on last year. Um, if you go back and look at most of the losses, it directly correlates to whether or not he played okay. Just okay. Not good, not great, just okay. And he was bad against NC State. Um, six turnovers, six of our team's 10 turnovers came from Justin Mutz. Nine of the team's 10 turnovers came from front court players, whether that be Kev Aluma, Justin Mutz, or David Gasson. Uh, the guards had one. Storm had one. Nobody else had a turnover. Um, that kills you, man. Six turnovers from one guy who's playing, you know, 30-plus minutes a night. That's terrible. You, you can't, can't win a lot of games that way. Um, especially, you know, when you haven't played together in however long and guys haven't been in the gym in a few days, you got to play mistake free to give yourself a shot. And they had a shot and uh, too many turnovers from one guy. Um, and I think he would tell you that. So hopefully moving forward, uh, Justin Mutz can figure out what he needs to do to get back to that consistency that he has been, um, so good about in his first, you know, year and a half in Blacksburg because his off nights have been pretty killer. Uh, there's not a whole lot of protection behind him on the bench to do what he does. So uh, hopefully Justin Mutz can figure it out, and I think he will. Um, the six turnovers is probably directly correlated to the lack of basketball that had been played by this team and by him individually in the last you know 10 days leading up to that. So hopefully leading into Virginia, um, we're able to slow the ball down and not kick it right back to them, because that's what they want you to do, especially for Virginia. So. Yeah, I I need a little bit more out of Justin Mutz. He was really good in Durham, but that NC State game was brutal. So, you know, you win some, you lose some, I guess. But I think he'll figure it out. He's too good of a player not to. 
I want to get your opinion on NC State because I have some thoughts here. So I saw some folks on social media talking about how Kevin Keats might have the hottest seat in the ACC. And I'm not sure I'm there yet. I'm not sure I'm there yet. So he's got two really young, good backcourt players, Intercavion Smith and Darion Seaborn, um, or Seabron, excuse me, combined for 38 points in this game. They've both been very good. Intercavion Smith as a true freshman has been outstanding this year for NC State. I, I get that the first few years of the Kevin Keyes experience have not gone as a lot of people envisioned when NC State moved on from Mark Gottfried, but I'm not sure I'm there yet as far as firing Kevin Keats at NC State just because of the youth in the backcourt and the talent that they have. I'm curious as to what your thoughts are there. I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to fire him? Who are you going to get that's better? And that's right. always the question, right? When people right. are screaming, fire a coach. Who are you going to get this better? Um, when people were screaming at Maryland to fire Mark Turgeon, Maryland's a top 15 job in the country. They can get anybody they want. Right. NC State's not that. So what are you going to do? I mean, is, has, has he been great? No. I mean, of course not. But has he been terrible to the point where he has the hottest seat in the ACC? Probably not. But maybe. I mean, I'm looking at the list of teams here. Georgia Tech's. 0-4 in conference right now, but they're not going to fire Passner. Right. Um, Virginia Tech's 0-3. They're not firing Mike Young. And then there's NC State at 1-4. Pitt, 1-3. I mean – Syracuse, 1-3. None of those teams firing their coaches. With, so, with, Notre, with Notre Dame's start, are they firing Bray? I mean, they're 3-1 and one in conference, 9-5 and five in the year. So, I would doubt they fire Bray. Bray could be in play at Maryland. That's a different side note. But mm-hmm. – um, I mean, Pitt's not firing their coach. Syracuse isn't firing Bayheim. I mean, so hottest seat, maybe just by default, but um, I don't know. The, the real question for me there is, what's NC State going to do that's better than that? Um, if you can give me a good answer, then by all means, pull the plug. But it's really hard to fire a coach if you're NC State and know for sure that the alternative is better. I mean, for what it's worth, Mike Bray has a beach house about two and a half hours from the University of Maryland, so – just something Apparently to it's a mind. job he's always wanted. Yeah. And he's been at Notre Dame for somewhere. 20-something years, and they haven't been great lately, and maybe it's just running stale in South Bend. I mean, I know he's been there forever, but, you know, yeah, it's I just mean, something his, to consider. His 20 years in Notre Dame have been Gary Williams and 10 years of Turgeon for Maryland. So right. I don't know if Bray threw his hat in the ring 10 years ago when that job opened up, but uh, – I can see him throwing it in there now. I mean, he has been in Notre Dame for a long time. Notre Dame's losing uh, coaches left and right, so we'll, we'll see if Brian throws table. that in the Maryland ranks. It's on the table. Uh, I mean, I so going back and re-watching this NC State game, uh, the thing that sticks out to me, and I'm not really sure how Virginia Tech fixes this truthfully, um, is what are they going to do with Naheem Aline? And the fan base on social media is like, yeah, I mean, bench him. It's like, I mean, sure, but then you're going to get no defense out of your backcourt, right? I mean, you're going to get the best you can out of Storm. And then Mike Young, I don't think, wants to play Storm and Padula together unless it's just for a pinch. And Darius Maddox, I mean, he's been okay defensively, but it would be a clear step down defensively in the starting lineup from Aline. You're already having trouble stopping opposing runs. Now you're going to take one of your better defensive players in the backcourt out of the lineup. The thing is, like, I, I get it. He's got to shoot the ball better, and he's got to play better. But I don't think just outright benching, moving him to a bench role, 
is going to fix everything, right? Sure, maybe the offense produces a little bit better, but I think defensively, you take a step back there. If, if you put a Maddox or a Padula in the starting lineup instead of a lean. So I think the clear answer for Virginia Tech and kind of their roster composition right now, I think the clear answer is that Nahima Lean just has to play better. But I don't think it's a simple fix where you move him to a bench and then everything's solved. The fan base seems to no, want to think that's that's the case. I just I just don't think it is. That's such a lazy solution. <laughs> like, oh, he's playing bad. Bench him. Like, no, because that there's a snowball effect there that right. I don't think people really recognize. First of which is the defense that you talked about. Um, even if Darius Maddox came in and averaged eight points a game, it's still probably a net negative defensively. Right, so, and right. all in all, it's probably a net negative roster move. Um, the easiest solution is for Naheem Aline to figure it out and at least just be serviceable. Right. Um, not Don't shooting three of 11, three of 10. Yeah. Right. I mean, just be decent. And he has been at least like, you know, NC State, he shot the ball poorly, which everyone is, you know, screaming to the heavens about, but he didn't turn the ball over. He played pretty good defense. So, you know, you're not going to shoot 55% from the field every night. Um, yes, of course he needs to play better, but okay. What do you do? You put him on the bench and you take him from, you know, 28 minutes a game to what 15, give all those minutes to Maddox. And then what Maddox struggles defensively. Maddox isn't as good offensively as a starter, as he has been off the bench, which is a thing. I know people yeah. are like, oh, that does, yeah. that's not how that works. Yes, it is how that works. Um, because once he gets in there, Ed, he's going to want to produce offensively at a level that he hasn't been before. He's going to press a little bit naturally. And I mean, yes, he and makes right now, he, shots. But right now, Darius on. Maddox has one job when he comes in the game. Play decent defense and score. He doesn't have to think about what defensive set we're in, what offensive play we're running. Like, all these things that a veteran guard like Naheem Aline deals with. Darius Maddox is just going in and playing right now. He's basically playing street ball a lot of the time. Just get your shot and make it. Right. Um, he's going to continue to get better, and he's going to be all in all a very, very good player for Virginia Tech. I just don't think we're at a point in his career where we can give him 30 minutes a game. And if you minute swap the two of them or you bench Naheem Aline, like people are saying, then all of a sudden you're playing seven guys. You're only playing eight right now. If you bench one of your – you know, what is the humility? Technically, the COVID stuff really messes with my head. But a red shirt junior, whatever he is, he's played a lot of basketball. You can't just put that guy on the bench and stick him in the corner because he's not shooting well. He was kicking the ball back and forth to the other team. That's one thing. But not shooting well is not cause for entire minutes swap or minutes reduction with a guy who is relatively unproven in 75% of the game of basketball. He's Darius Mattis can shoot and Darius Mattis can get to the rim. Can he pass? We don't really know yet. Can he rebound like Naheem Aline? I don't think so. Can he play defense? We know he's not as good defensively. So all in all, that's a net negative move, in my opinion. The easiest solution is for Naheem Aline to, one, either play really good, which would be fantastic, or two, personally, I would love for him to stop taking mid-range jump shots because I hate that. But yeah, he'll figure it out. You can't just bench a kid because he's not shooting well. That's not cause for an entire minutes reduction, in my right. opinion. Yeah, I agree. And I don't think that I don't think that his poor shooting is as big of a detriment to this team right now as it is when Justin Mutz turns it over six times or when Storm Murphy outright doesn't shoot the basketball. Bingo. You know, Mike, Mike Young has said all along that, you know, remember when he first came in a couple of years ago, Ed, Mike Young said that he wants his players in his offense. If they're open, shoot the ball. I don't care what the result is. If you're open, shoot it. 
because I've, if I've seen you make that shot in practice, I want you to shoot it. So because of that, Ed, Mike Young's teams are susceptible to cold stretches, right? And we've seen that plenty this year as a unit, but we've seen it individually with Naheem Aline, right? And I would much rather Naheem Aline take 10 or 11 open shots and only make two or three of them when we know that he's got the capability. Everybody watched the Florida game, the NCAA tournament. We know what he's capable of doing, right? I would much rather him take 10 or 11 open shots and, and only make a few of them rather than Storm Murphy flat out not shooting when he's wide open. And we know he can shoot, right? I completely shoot. agree. But the issue is that Naheem Aline is not always taking open shots. He's taking contested mid-range jumpers, like you mentioned. He has to stop doing that. Yeah, he needs to find ways to see the ball go through the basket, whether that be get to the free throw line, um, et cetera. You, you know, shoot or shoot, I get that whole thing, and you can get yourself out of a slump by sh- continuing to shoot. Right? That's the only way to get yourself out of a slump. But if you're taking really low percentage shots, it's just going to get worse for you. And I'm sure that's a conversation with the staff and the Himalayan have had. Yes, please take the open shots. He's making open shots. He's taking right. bad shots too. It's because he's been thrust into this role of the late clock, go get a bucket guy. And that really maybe isn't his game right now. Maybe it never will be, but that was Tyrese Radford last year. And it's now in Himalayan. And maybe he wasn't ready for that jump like we all thought he was in terms of, you know, taking and making those tough contested late in the clock shots. That's been his role this year. And that's why I think that's at least part of the poor shooting. Um, you know, Take his minutes. Take Naheem Aline's minutes is the flavor of the day for Virginia Tech fans. Uh, the first half of the season, it was Bench Storm Murphy. Now it's Naheem Aline. Who knows who will be next month? All uh, because they're the, not shooting it well. It's it's just the Twitter mob of Virginia Tech who are needs something to point to, and that's fine. But I hope people are have the ability to take a step back and realize that that is completely illogical. Um, you cannot take away the minutes of one of your best players especially when you're only playing eight guys anyway. Um, if Rodney Rice was sitting on the bench right now as sure. a freshman, that's sure. one thing. He's right. not here. You got to play with who you got. And, you know, maybe you make the minutes distribution a little bit more even from a lean to Maddox. But right. even still, we talked about the St. Bonaventure game and what Couture and Aline did to Lofton and Holmes. Those are two very good players who Virginia Tech would love to have on their own team. Right. And those two guys held them to two combined points. So, the defensive um, piece of this can't be overlooked. And I think right now it is being overlooked. Uh, you know, hopefully he shoots the ball better and people can stop talking about it as we head into this Virginia game. It's actually really frustrating me to listen to. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I read the stuff. I'm like, Oh my God, guys. Like it's just emotional. Just. Yeah. And I get it. And it, fans are going to be fans. I get it. We're, you and I are alums. We're fans too. But like, I, I look at this roster and I'm like, all right, so what are you going to do? And, and the easy answer everybody has is like, all right, just play Darius Max more because he's shooting it better without looking at the defensive side of it and saying, you know what? It is a net negative defensively. Watch Darius Maddox when he defends right now. I'm not saying he's a terrible defender, but he's not Naheem Aline. He's a, he's, he's for all intents and purposes, Darius Maddox is a redshirt freshman. Didn't play a lot oh, last yeah. year. I mean, he's got a free year because of COVID anyway. And by the way, to answer your question, Naheem Aline, by letter of the law, is a true junior. Really, that means a redshirt sophomore. He's got an extra year eligibility because of COVID. I can't like, keep up. But Darius Maddox is, yeah, and I can't either, which is why I looked it up. But Darius Maddox, by all, for all intents and purposes, is a redshirt freshman. He didn't play a lot last year. 
And now you're asking him to, to come in and be the same level of defender at Naheem Molina's. It's unreasonable, right? And everybody just says offense, offense, offense. That's fine. I get it. And Aline needs to play better, right? I'm not disputing that. You can't go two of 11 and one for seven from three against NC State. That can't happen. But we don't know who was in the COVID protocol. There's a chance that Aline hadn't played in a, in a week and a half, right? And in, in fact, a pretty good chance, right? So pretty good chance. Yeah. I mean, th- this is, it's very, it's very reactionary. Virginia Tech, to your point, cannot take one of their best players off the floor. And, and people are going to say, well, he's not one of Virginia Tech's best players. That's Aluma. That's Mutz. That's, you know, Couture. You know, that's not Aline. Aline's like fourth or fifth on that list. But it's an eight-man rotation right now, Ed. Like, if you're not going to play Aline, who are you going to play more? And if, if the answer is, and I, and I think a reasonable answer is, maybe you cut down some of his minutes if he continues to shoot it poorly and then give, you know, some more of those minutes to Darius Maddox. But we kind of already saw that against NC State, right? Like, Aline's been playing 35, 36 minutes a game. And Max has been playing, what, like seven or eight minutes a game? And, and same with David and Gusan. And, and look at these minutes here. Aline played 31 minutes against NC State, right? Maddox played 11. Padula played 12. David and Gusan played 11. Like, we haven't seen the bench guys get into double-digit minutes very often. No, and, it, it, you know, you just mentioned Couture, Mutz, and Aluma as, you know, this team's best players and who the fans would say. And that, that's fine. That's great. You got eight seconds on the shot clock, and you need to get a shot up. I'm not even talking about make it. Just get it away. You're not – Mutz ain't doing that. Right. Door ain't doing that, and Aluma ain't even doing that. Right. So none of those guys have the ability to get their shot off off of anything but a set play unless it's Kevin Aluma pounding the ball into the ground for five seconds on the block and then making a hook shot, which is not a sustainable way to get a shot late in a broken possession. Right. Aline's taking all of those shots, hence yeah. poor shooting percentage. Well, uh, Storm's not doing that. The only other guy on the roster who has the ability to get their shot Darius off Maddox. pretty much whenever they want is Darius Maddox. I was just going to say he is that. a freshman. Yeah. And he is a freshman. I was just going to say that. Ironically, the only other guy who can do that is Darius Maddox, the guy everybody wants to replace Aline with. So if you make Maddox take those contested shots at the end of the shot clock, let's see what his shooting percentage is. I'm, exactly. I'm, I'm uh yeah, I'm I'm backing Naheem Aline a little bit here because defend and, and maybe a lot, depending on, you know, the fans are probably scream, you know, screaming at their uh radio or computer or phone, whatever, listening to this right now, saying that we're out of our mind for wanting to continue to play Naheem Aline this much. But like the options are limited is the point. No, want and to, you have to. You have to. Uh, you have no choice right now. He just needs to play better. That's the best path for Virginia Tech. And if you want to cut his minutes a little bit, sure, do that. But just out the, the point we're trying to make is just outright taking him out of the starting lineup, throwing him on the bench, and just assuming that's going to fix all the problems, I, I think is extremely short-sighted. Yep, that's a good summary. Virginia Tech has a huge game on Wednesday night against UVA. And the only reason why it's huge is because Virginia Tech can't afford to lose this game, right? Usually it's like Virginia Tech hopes to go into Charlottesville and and win the game, but UVA is terrible this year. And Virginia Tech really needs to win this game, especially coming off of this NC State loss. So, Ed, what does Virginia Tech need to do to win this game on Wednesday night? Yeah, I'm going to circle back to the last topic and kind of parlay this all into the Virginia piece of it. But um, something that... I talked to Diablo fan account about in Charlotte um, at a bar after the game. And then I've seen him talk about it a lot on social media is the lack of athlete and lack of high level recruiting that Mike Young has done at Virginia tech. And it's, you know, you're seeing the problems it's leading to against more athletic high level um, basketball teams 
and even not even like really good teams, but just more athletic teams like Dayton was obviously more athletic than Virginia Tech was. Um, it is a problem. Uh, there are pieces of the recruiting that have been really frustrating um, and they're leading to issues against teams with high level athletes, maybe not even good basketball players, just really athletic guys. NC State had a few guys who are very athletic um, and it's caused issues for Virginia Tech this year. Um, issues that I think have been masked in the past by Tyrese Radford and Mobisa Beatty. Um, there's a lot of teams, majority of teams in the country are just flat out more athletic than we are right now. Um, and, you know, the, it, the way you construct your roster is either through the portal or through high school kids and the guys we've landed and the guys we've retained are not exactly, you know, Olympic athletes. Joe Bamoso is super athletic, high, highly rated kid from Virginia, four-star guy. I think everybody can objectively say Joe Bamisell did not fit the Mike Young offense or system. And, you know, you can scream, well, he should fit the system to the player. No, you can't do that in college basketball. Um, they've got to at least be able to play within the system in a certain capacity, and Bamisell couldn't shoot. But he was really athletic, and that's what we're missing. Jalen Cohn, four-star kid, size limitations at this level. So he has recruited well. Mike Young has recruited well in his right. first three years getting really good players who are highly rated. Um, unfortunately, two of those higher rated kids were not great fits for Virginia Tech stylistically or the ACC as a whole due to other limitations. Um, pause. That is why we have struggled so far. In my opinion, this year is the athlete thing that you know, Diablo fan account talks about on Twitter is very accurate. Virginia doesn't have those athletes. Right. Virginia Tech should be able to hang and beat a team in the ACC like Virginia who does not have the athletes that Memphis or even Dayton or Duke have. They got to win this game. And I hate saying that. I hate doing that. It's so annoying. I hate when people do it on TV. Must win. I hate saying it myself. Is it a must I, win, know, Ed? Is it a no, must win? it's not a must win. The only the must only wins bu- are in the ACC tournament when you have yes, to win or, all the games to get in. So, or, game, or game seven, you know, in the pros or, or you yeah. know, a playoff game in the NFL. Those are must wins, like literally must Yeah, wins. no, this is like a very important game, though, for a lot of reasons. One, it's obviously Virginia, so the fans are going to be juiced up. Um, I'm really excited for it. Virginia has not been very good this year. Um they're kind of in a similar position to Virginia Tech and Mike Young. Um, they're playing their system, but they don't have the guys to play that system at an elite level right now. Um, Virginia Tech's playing its system, and they're, you know, some nights it looks great and some nights it doesn't look so great. Virginia's kind of doing the same thing, two completely different systems, but right. similar issue with lack of athlete, lack of, you know, super talented guys to run that system. So they don't, they don't two have programs DeAndre, that are kind of in a, yeah, they, they, they don't, don't have, have DeAndre, DeAndre Hunter or Kyle guy or Jerome on this team. Like they don't have those guys. Nope. And they've got a few of those guys coming in next year. So we, yep. we got to strike while the iron's hot, but what Virginia tech has to do to win this game is first of all, not turn the ball over. Um, that's always the biggest thing against Virginia is not turning the ball over, not getting sped up. Um, I'm interested to see how storm handles, the Virginia defense, you know, everybody else has seen it before. So no surprises for anybody there. Um, unfortunately, both of our point guards haven't seen it before. So that, that could be problematic with Storm and Padula, but I think they'll be all right. Um, this is a game that Virginia Tech should win, in my opinion. Um, 
biggest key though is not turning the ball over. You can't have Justin Mutz kicking it around six times. Um, that's exactly how Virginia wins. They note the clock, they turn you over, and that's about it. So they play in a way that they want to get more possessions than the other team. Um, Virginia Tech has done a relatively good job this year not turning the rock over. Yep. Uh, I think if they continue to do that and they shoot the ball with a moderate level of success, um, they can win this game. I actually think Naheem Aline's going to have a really good game just to just to poke at Twitter a little bit, just for the fun of it. Yep. Um, but I do think that Virginia Tech needs this game. Um, they need to they need to point this thing in the right direction somewhere, and it'd be great to start Tuesday night against Virginia. That was a very long-winded way of saying don't turn the ball over, shoot the ball half decent, you probably win the game. But <laughs> yeah. that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, it was all good stuff though. Uh, Tech then hosts Notre Dame in Blacksburg on Saturday. And Tech really needs that one, too. <laughs> we don't want to talk about must-wins. But Notre Dame has been playing some pretty decent basketball recently. And they're a team that needs the wins just as badly as Virginia Tech does. We probably won't record until after the Notre Dame game. So let's talk about that game a little bit. You want to talk about teams with thin rotations. Mike Bray coached teams, right? We talked about Notre Dame a little bit earlier. But this is a roster that has a nice mix of veterans and a few young guys that can really shoot the ball. Notre Dame has won three straight, no, five straight um, with, with a, with a postponement against Duke in there. Um, This is a team who seems to be hitting their stride right now. They, they beat North Carolina, went on the road, beat Georgia tech. They beat Pitt. I mean, this is a team that is playing really good basketball. They have a game Wednesday night against Clemson as well. So we'll see if Notre Dame makes it six straight going into the Virginia Tech game. But regardless, the Irish are playing good basketball right now. This is not going to be an easy game in Blacksburg for the Hokies. No, it won't be. They're they're kind of funny because they're nine and five on the year, but they're three and one in conference. So, um, yeah, they've been playing really good of late. As soon as, you know, the page turned to ACC play, they've done really well for themselves. Mike Bray is obviously a very good coach. He's been doing it for a very long time. Um, I believe if I'm thinking back to our ACC preview podcast, they have a lot of guys who came back. Yeah. Uh, they didn't lose a lot. They didn't lose a lot from what wasn't a very good team last year, but they are, if, if nothing else, they're pretty experienced and they brought in some transfers as well. So um, yeah, they're, they're playing good ball right now. Three and one conferences, you know, better than 0 and three that Virginia Tech sits at. So that's definitely not going to be an easy game. Notre Dame's never an easy game. Mike Bray is, you know, never an easy out of the coach. So uh, that that one's very important too. I mean, you, you can't start 0-5, right? You can't lose to Virginia and to Notre Dame and be 0-5 in conference. At that point, yeah, it's over. Right. But I think you got to win both. At the very least, you got to split um, two very winnable games for a Virginia Tech team that had very high aspirations at the beginning of the year. And we've seen flashes of that ability so far. So um, got to win got to win these games man you got to win most of them on the way out you've already played duke you get you missed the carolina game um you know miami and louisville are good programs but other than that the rest of the acc is all in all pretty down um you know the best record in the league right now is 13 and 3 on the year that's wake and miami so figure it out because the league is definitely gettable you know everybody is gettable on any given night in this league this year there's no crazy good team. Uh, this isn't the Big Ten where you got Purdue killing everybody. Um, everybody's gettable, as we saw with Duke losing to Miami this week. So started off good with Virginia. You know, they're nine and six. They're three and two in conference. They're nine and six on the year. 
Um, Virginia Tech's eight and six. So two programs in very similar positions within the state. Um, started off right Tuesday night, don't turn the ball over, shoot the ball well, and then get back home. Um, that Castle game, you would think Saturday against Notre Dame would be a good crowd. Um, looks like on every game so far, I've seen the crowd on TV has looked fantastic. Um, so, you know, more of that a Saturday, a weekend game, you think the students would show up and give you the support you need to beat Notre Dame. So let's win both this week. So we have something nice to talk about next time we record. And for the love of God, when you play Notre Dame, please don't let another freshman kill you. We saw what Tracavion Smith at NC State. Blake Wesley for Notre Dame has scored 18 points and 22 points his last two times out. He had 18 against North Carolina and 22 in the overtime win against Georgia Tech. He's a true freshman from South Bend. Like, he's literally playing in his hometown, and he's starting to kill people <laughs> offensively. So, um, Hunter Couture, if you, or Naheem Aline, for that matter, please don't let Blake Wesley kill us. It's just a simple request. Um, all right, Ed, we will talk next week. I, tech needs these too bad. Yeah, they do. And, you know, Aluma and Mudson do a really good job on Jaden Gardner for Virginia. He's averaging 15 and seven and a half rebounds. So those are pretty good numbers. Um, yeah, it's a winnable game. And at this point, you got to start winning most of those on the way, on the way out to the end of the season. Um, any Virginia Tech fans that want to go to the game, according to my ESPN app, um tickets are as low as four dollars to get into jpj on wednesday night I, I i did think i read somewhere that the virginia fans haven't been doing a very good job filling that place up once their team's not in the national championship competition so um can't say i'm surprised there we've seen how that goes with virginia and their attendance so uh, anybody in the charlottesville area sporting the right colors should go on out there and grab one of those four dollar tickets and go watch virginia tech because i think i think they can get it done in jpj on wednesday night i think they'll figure it out and if, if you're a Virginia Tech student, because I know a lot of Virginia Tech students listen to this podcast, go pack Castle, please. Go pack Castle on Saturday against Notre Dame. Um, this is yeah, a, I, it's I a miss Castle so much. It's still a tournament I team. Miss Joe, Lunardi, Joe Lunardi has us in the tournament still. It's bracketology. Yeah, Come on. I don't know what he's on, but <laughs> um, I mean, I appreciate the support. Um, but yeah, go to Castle, man. Castle's so cool. Like, you know, I've been to three Tech games this year, none of which were at Castle. There's nothing compares to that environment. Um, when it's packed, you know, when that place is full, it is, it is a really fun place to watch and I'm sure play a basketball game. So um, embrace it while you're still in college kids. Cause it's not as fun when you're out. Then you're like really paying like actual dollars on it. You're not going to a game for like 12 bucks with your season tickets. You're yeah. actually paying like, you know, and you have to drive four hours uh, and a walk from your dorm. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. You got fine parking and uh, yeah, it's a disaster. Ed, we'll talk next week. Mm-hmm.